last weekend. If my count is correct, there are about 45 children between all of us who are either members or regular attenders of Windsor Christian Fellowship. Percentage-wise, that is a lot of children. That means that on any given Sunday, about 50% of the people that are in our building are children. And like I've said before, we love that about our church. And they don't realize it, but they provide such a, a good energy and such a, just a beautiful sense that God is working here and that God is doing something. And that we look down maybe the portal of time and think, man, God, raise up these children and do something within their lives. Let's see them even marry each other, right? And Well, my daughters are off limits for about 30 or 40 years. But the rest of your children get married within the next however many years and then going on and just seeing our our church grow even in that sort of a way. And I'm so thankful for the youth that we have and the opportunity that we have as a church family, really as a village, right, to raise our children together. One preacher has said, if you're not crying, you're dying. In other words, if you don't hear crying in church on Sunday morning, it's likely that your church is, is dying out. But we have such a wonderful heritage in these children. But with this amount of kids, and it means that a lot of you are right now in the throes of parenthood. And depending on where you are with that, or how old you, your kids are, or how you think you're, they're doing, my bet is that most of you, if not all the time, but you regularly feel the struggle that is involved with raising children. No doubt it keeps you awake at night and causes you to struggle to think about how you should do what you do in the lives of your children. Do I punish my child for what they just did in this situation? What kind of punishment should it be? Is what they did deserving of a severe punishment? Or how should I educate them? Or am I doing a bad job as a mom or a dad? Or how should I feed them? What kinds of foods should I not give them? Or or what kind of medications should they take? Or should they take medication? Should I let them go to a friend's house? What should their sleeping schedule be? And on and on. There's just a thousand questions that we all have for each individual kid that God has given to us, and as a dad, and even as a relatively new dad, I feel your struggle. I am totally with you. I feel the weight of parenting with you. But despite the fact that parenting is difficult, and I think that we would all admit that, uh, Jeff had mentioned this morning that if any of us have eaten our words in regard to parenting, and I think a lot of us probably have, that before we had kids, it was like, that looks so easy, right? And then we have kids, and all of a sudden, it gets pretty difficult, right? But despite the fact that parenting is difficult, the Bible has beautiful things to say about children and has many things to say in regard to how we instruct our children. We often say that the Bible is all that we need for faith and practice, and that is true. The Bible does not leave us empty-handed. It doesn't leave us without the information that we need in order to properly raise our children well. So it instructs us, it teaches us how to understand our children and how to raise them. Oftentimes when somebody has a child, I like to reflect with on these verses. Or I remember when Nora was born and I thought about these verses specifically. What the psalmist says in Psalm 127. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. The thing there that holds all the arrows. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. So children, according to the Bible, are a heritage from the Lord. 
They are the fruit of the womb. God commands Adam and Eve, you remember back in the Garden of Eden, to be fruitful and to multiply within that garden. And here he says that the children are the fruit of the womb. Children are the God-given fruit of a marriage relationship. You only have your children for what? Maybe a quarter of their lives? Like that, that, that beginning period of their lives? And we often talk about how fast it goes, that they grow up so fast. But like a warrior, the man who has children, he, he has them within his quiver and he pulls them out one by one as they come of age and he shoots them out into the world. They are his heritage. And some of you may be looking forward to shooting your kids off one day. I'm not. I dread every day that they get older. But it's important to recognize that parenting is not the filling of our quiver with the little arrows and then keeping them there for the rest of their lives. There comes a day where we have to shoot out our children like an arrow away from us where we don't have them close by anymore. Where they're off filling their own quivers with their own children. Where they are living according to the principles, Lord willing, that we have all instructed our children in. But in this season where many of you are, where you are either filling your quiver or you're thinking, man, my quiver is full enough, I am done. The children that you have, they are yours from God. And it's your responsibility to continue fletching them and fashioning them into the arrows that God wants them to be. And this is the season that we call parenting. Now, there's so much to unpack in regard to parenting and so much groundwork that we need to lay. But the first thing that I want you to think about is this, to even wonder about, what is parenting? What is parenting in the first place? I liked what one author defined parenting as. He said, parenting is a flawed person who's commissioned to give direction and guidance and help to a flawed person, but with a faithful God. I think that quotation speaks to why parenting is so hard. It's kind of like marriage, isn't it? Where you have one lifelong sinner getting together with another lifelong sinner and all of that baggage comes together, a bunch of a couple sinners coming together into that relationship and it can get sticky pretty quick, can't it? And it's the same kind of thing with children. That you have those two lifelong sinners, the, the mom and the dad both being sinners and now they have to somehow help a miniature sinner grow up and do what's right. To, to do what's honoring to God, right? To, to be ready to be helpful in their communities and in churches and all the rest. So it's no joke, right? It's, a, it's no simple task. And the key to this whole thing, this whole parenting responsibility, is not going to be that you were the best parent that the world has ever seen. So let that weight a little bit come off you. That it's not about your performance for 18 years within their lives. The key is a flawed person helping another flawed person. The key part is that you have a faithful God. God's idea of parenting goes all the way back to creation. Having kids was God's idea and his plan to fill the earth with children. Think again of of Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Uh, And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So the whole topic that's out there about overpopulation, God says to fill the earth. He wants the earth filled with people. And so from the dawn of time, God's intention was for humans to have children, for humans to procreate. And this is a wonderful privilege for us. But the problem comes, before the fall anyway, the problem comes when the fall happens. And so just like we looked at a couple weeks ago with the subject of marriage and husbands and wives and husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands and all that question... The fabric of marriage was broken 
when Adam and Eve sinned within the garden. And the same thing happened with parenting. That the fabric just began to erode when sin came into the world. In fact, what's one of the first sins that you see committed in the Bible? After Adam and Eve do what they did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 4, what do you have? Cain comes up according to tradition and he takes a stone and he crushes his brother's head and he kills his brother. I don't know what the test is for failing parenthood, but if one of your kids kills another one of your kids, you probably failed. (laughs) But herein lies the problem and it's something that we need to be sure we are understanding biblically. Our children are not born into the world neutrally they are born into the world sinners the bible makes this abundantly clear in places like psalm 51 behold david says behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me david isn't saying here that that his mom was involved in some kind of adulterous sin and that's why he was born in sin no he's saying that 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 he was conceived he was a sinner upon conception I don't think he would mind me telling you this, but my brother-in-law lovingly refers to his children as monsters of iniquity. And I wholeheartedly agree. My nieces and nephews are monsters of iniquity. So he has good theology. They are little sinners. But you know what? My kids, they're sinners too. Your children are sinners. And so for all of you who have kids, these 45 or so that were born to you, they were all born as members of the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light. And I've had this question posed to me, are people born into the world naturally good or naturally evil? Well, isn't it obvious? Have you ever noticed that you don't need to teach your child to be sinful? I've never once seen a parent go up to their child and say, you know, now little Jimmy, this is how you are a disrespectful child. The parent has never gone up to their child and said, I'm going to teach you the one, two, three steps of of throwing a temper tantrum. You never have to teach a child how to sin. You don't need to teach them how to participate in wickedness. They come fully equipped and capable of doing so, don't they? And so it's like going down and buying a toy, right? You go buy that toy and, and on it, it says batteries not included. But when you get that brand new baby, it comes with sin included. And so I think of it in terms of my own kids. I have a six-month-old and I have a four-year-old. And you can think of it this way. The six-month-old is like an acorn. She has all the potential of being a mighty oak. Right now, it's more potential. She's a sinner. She is. But you can't really detect that sin yet. But she has all the potential of being a mighty oak of a sinner. The four-year-old is no longer an acorn. And she has been planted. And she is growing And she has made her sinful nature obvious, but no more obvious than the sinful nature of her mom and dad. We are all sinners. And no doubt when your child or grandchild, when they were around two years old and they looked up at you when you said something to do and they said no, you realize that they're not the little cherub from heaven that you thought that they were. And it dawns on you, particularly again if you have good theology, that the child born to you is not a perfect little human being. They are born a sinner. They are born with a sin nature of their mom and dad. And this again is why the parent relationship can be so difficult. Because it is marred by sin. And the task of the parent is not simply to demand obedience 
It is not for those years that they're in your quiver to have such a regimented boot camp where your children would make the Navy SEAL boot camp look wimpy. That is not what Paul is calling for here. You notice in verse 21 that we are not to provoke our children to wrath or to cause them to become embittered. We are not to treat them in such a heavy-handed way where we crush the the spirit of the child or we, we crush the spiritual life out of them. We are to act in a way that nurtures the exact opposite. But what Paul is calling for here is that our children understand the fact that as the children in the family... They are the ones who are under authority. They are called to submit themselves to mom and dad. Now, all of you kids who are sitting here, you children who are all sitting here, take a look, at, take a look up here, all you kids. I want to see all the kids' eyeballs. There we go. There's some of them. All right. It's very important for you to understand this fact, that the Bible says, children, obey your Parents, this is very simple. You are called by God to obey your mom and dad. All of you kids, right now in this season of your life, you are under authority. I don't care if you're 16. I don't care if you're four. It doesn't matter. If you are a child and you are living with mom and dad, you are called to obey them. And so all of you are under authority right now because God says so. Sometimes mom and dad, when they don't know what else to say, they say, because I said so. But you're called to obey mom and dad because God says so. Even for all of us, we are all under various levels of authority, aren't we? Whether it's the authority of the government or church leadership or the husband and wife relationship or work environments that we're in, our children are no exception. Despite what you may see in the world around you, the simple fact is, as you survey our culture, that children don't often consider themselves subject under the authority of anyone, do they? One person said this in regard to who fears who in the school systems. Teachers are afraid of the principals. The principals are afraid of the superintendents. The superintendents are afraid of the board. The board members are afraid of the parents. The parents are afraid of the children. And the children are afraid of nobody. Children don't recognize that they are under authority. It does not take a child long to realize who is in charge and they know the limits. They know how far they can take things before you're actually going to lay down the law. And so for all of the the children, for all the things that children may be anyway, dumb is not one of them. And they learn very quickly how to maneuver, don't they? They know very quickly how they can get by and do different things. They learn about that chain of command and they want to work their way to the top. Yet they are the ones who are taught and told that they are the ones to be in submission. The requirement for children has always been to obey mom and dad. And does this not go all the way back thousands of years to the Ten Commandments? You consider the Ten Commandments and what does it say in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. So it's it's a command specifically addressed toward the children within the people of God. They were to honor their father and their mother. They were to respect them. They were to show deference. They were to honor their mom and dad. And honor really, again, is all but gone from our society. I don't remember the last time that I walked through a grocery store and saw a child honoring their mom and dad. It's simply gone. And yet the Lord calls children to this task of not even simply obedience, but actually honoring mom and dad. And he attaches that promise to it. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
The rest of the Old Testament is very clear as well in, in some of these portions here. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3. Every one of you, children, shall revere his father and mother. Or Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. Proverbs 6, 20 and 21. My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. In other words, they, your teaching, the mother's teachings and the commandments of the father should be about your neck. That you are living in that sort of way. Bound to your heart. Proverbs 23 and verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. And so the principle is clearly addressed uh, within the Old Testament, but it's also readdressed within the New Testament. In our text in Colossians, but more clearly over in Ephesians 6, which Jeff, Jeff read for us, where the Apostle Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. And then he repeats that Exodus 20, verse 12, that Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may be, live long in the land. And so the Ephesians passage simply beefs up what we're looking at over in Colossians 20 and 21, 3, 20 and 21. Not only does a child obey their mom and dad, but they honor their mom and dad so that they may be blessed. There is an incredible weight to disobedience within the Bible, even within with with kids. Some of you, as I'm saying these things, you may be thinking that I'm presenting some sort of ideal scenario. That there's an ideal that children will always be obedient. But that is what God is requiring. He's requiring obedience. But when you understand how serious God takes the disobedience of children, you realize that it is his expectation that our children are consistently obedient. Some of you might remember that passage back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, I believe it is, where if a man has a stubborn or a rebellious son, he can actually take that son to the elders of the city who are standing there and they will judge the situation and they will see if that son is guilty of consistent rebellion and they could actually stone the child for his consistent disobedience and rebellion. Now, was God just a big meanie to kind of write that into the law? No. Because a consistent and rebellious son Somebody who is living in that sort of way and he is disrupting the covenant community and he is living in such a way that is tearing things apart. This is something that needed to be rid from Israel. This is something that could not be contained and stayed there. So they would actually allow for the stoning of a child. Now, Some of you might want to stone your child at certain points. I hope it never gets that bad. But the point is clear. God takes it seriously, doesn't he? He takes disobedience Seriously, the New Testament picks up on the weight of disobedience as well and indicates that there is no room for disobedience from children. In fact, listen to the other sins that disobedience is lined up with in 2 Timothy 3. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. So the the disobedience of children is that grave. That when you see children in massive amounts of disobedience, you get the, an indication that the end is drawing near. And so when you come across a verse like we're dealing with today, we need to understand how much God hates the disobedience of children. And that the sin of disobedience of children is sin that Jesus had to die for. And so when the Apostle Paul reiterates what is already so clear within the Old Testament, that children should obey their parents in everything, he does so in a way that is reflective of the fact that their obedience is not simply unto the parents, but is unto the Lord. 
this verse should strike us as remarkably simple, that there is absolutely no guessing. There's no wiggle room. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Again, to those of you who are children within the service this morning, this is a command that is directly for you. A lot of times it's easy to think that maybe the Bible is geared toward moms and dads and grown-ups, but there's an indication here that 2,000 years ago when this letter was being read to the Colossian people, all the children are sitting there and they're learning from this verse along with their moms and dads. And this verse we are talking about is God's will for you to obey your parents. When I was in junior high and high school, I had an English teacher who... Uh, was a really great man, and he taught me so much. Uh, I didn't learn much of English. I did not do well in his classes, but as a, as a person, he taught me so much from his life. But he used to say, and he had this saying at the beginning of every year, and I think I may have told you this before, but he used to always say that he had one rule as an English teacher. One rule. That's all I have for you. You obey my one rule, and you will do well within my class. And that one rule was do everything I tell you to do. That was it. That's all you had to do. The the one rule. Do everything that I tell you to do. And what was masterful about that rule is it condensed everything else, right? It it took everything else and it just condensed it into one thought. If I would just do what Mr. O'Connell tells me to do, all will go well with me within his class. It made succeeding in his class sound very simple. Just do what I tell you to do. And the same is true for all of you children who are here. That that's the expectation for you. Is that you do everything that mom and dad tell you to do. So long as what they tell you to do is not contrary to what the word of God says. Then you should do it. I don't know how many times I've told Nora that if you would just obey. If you would just do everything I tell you to do. Everything will be fine. You will have a happy existence. When we consider what it means to be obedient. And for a child to do all that the parent requests. How should we define that? And I think, again, we shouldn't cloud the issue. Obedience for a child is responding promptly with the right action and with the right heart. Obedience is responding promptly with the right action and the right heart. Just like when you read something in God's Word and you realize that you have been living contrary to what the Word of God has to say. You should respond in a way that is immediate, right? With with promptness. And you should respond with the right action and with the right heart. Heart, and so should our children in their obedience respond immediately in that way. And again, I know some of you are thinking that you're probably, probably thinking this is the ideal. This is some idealistic thing that is impossible to achieve, right? Achieve. So, so you're meaning to tell me that my children should obey all the time, without hesitancy, promptly, without excuse, without, but mom, right? Without hesitation. And you're telling me that they should do this in the right spirit, with the right heart. Yeah, that's what Paul is clear about. He requires the obedience of children to the parents. And what backs it, and this is what I love about this verse, what backs it is that their obedience pleases the Lord, which indicates that they have the right heart behind it. I heard an illustration a long time ago, and I assume it's a pretty common one, but a child was misbehaving at supper time. And he was standing on his chair at supper time at the supper table. And the dad tells the son to sit down. And after some protesting and wrangling, they finally get the son to sit down on the chair. And the son looks at his dad and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. 
And friends, this is where parenting, in my mind, gets incredibly difficult. It's one thing to threaten your children and to demand that they obey and you get angry and blustery and force the child to submit, to threaten them with some sort of severe punishment. And you could do that thing where your children make the Navy SEALs look bad because of how rigid you are with them. But the difficult task is seeing the heart of your child turn from wanting to please their sinful selves or even pleasing you in their obedience to pleasing the Lord. That that is the transition you want. That's the transition you're looking for to where it's not just a rote obedience. It's not just, a, okay, yeah, I'll just do it, but there's no heart behind it. You, get it. you want to get to the point where their heart is wanting to please the Lord, thus glorifying Him. That they want to obey you, not because they fear your punishment. Or they want to obey you, not because you're going to give them some sort of reward. You can train a dog that way. But they obey because they want to please the Lord. I liked what one author said. He said, obedience to parents is not a parent-child issue. If it were, the parent could be selective about when he wished to be obeyed. Obedience is not simply an issue between the parent and the child. It is an issue between the child and God, in which the parent is God's agent in drawing the child back within the circle of blessing. And so you as a parent, you have the responsibility to be consistently bringing your child back to a place where they are honoring the Lord. They're obeying you. They are honoring you. And that reflects the fact that they are pleasing God in how they honor and how they obey. And the side effect, if we can put it that way, is really quite great for a child. Because when a child has been taught obedience and they learn to honor their mom and dad and they do so from a heart that is seeking to please the Lord, when that happens, you have a tremendous arrow in your hands to now shoot out into the world. Ultimately, the obedience of our children and our efforts to help our children obey is not about having squeaky clean kids. We don't want to have a bunch of Pharisees on our hands, right? That they're kind of like whitewashed tombs, but they're real little ones. And they look really great on the outside, but on the inside, they're still a mess. So we're not looking for simple compliance. We want a true heart change from our children. And I know so many of you, you pray for that for your children. You pray for that for your grandchildren. You want to see their hearts turn and turn from stone into flesh. Not that they're going to be perfect. Not that they're never going to throw a fit again. But that they have a heart for the Lord. Our goal for our children is to see that heart change. You see, we, and I definitely include myself here, I hope you know that just like with the husband's sermon, I am lumping myself right into this sermon, that this is a we issue. We so often do not want to accept the fact that our children are turning out the way they are turning out because we're not doing a very good job in regard to our parenting. We, me, more often, what we think and we say is that God has given me a difficult child. So we kind of want to lay the blame on Him. This is why they are disobedient. We like to think that in that stream, we don't like to think that maybe our child is particularly difficult because we're not doing a particularly good job. And I know that there are plenty of bloggers out there, people writing on the internet, on websites, about how we're all just doing a great job and there's really no right or wrong way to do this thing. But if we're not requiring obedience from our children, if we're not teaching our children to live for the pleasure of the Lord, or if we're provoking our children to wrath, as verse 21 mentions, then we are doing a bad job. And I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say that there have been many times where my parenting has been less than stellar, even in the midst of this week, as I'm preparing this sermon on this 
passage, there are certain highlights that I wouldn't want any of you to see. But this is where we get back to what we talked about earlier with the parenting and what it is. That it's a flawed person. I'm a flawed person trying to love and to help and to guide another flawed person. But remember the key, that it's with a faithful God. This is simply where the grace of God is so desperately needed in our parenting. We are relying upon God's grace when it comes to our struggles in parenting. And it takes nothing less than the grace of God to see that our children turn out in a way that is pleasing to Him. I've seen some who are older, and I can think of one person in particular, one couple in particular, and they had, I think, three or four children. Two or three ended up being pastors. They all ended up serving the Lord. And you just want to sit at those people's feet and say, what is the magic potion? Right? How do you get children to just turn out to be loving the Lord, to serve Him with their lives? How do you get there? But the truth is, there is no secret potion. There is no magic involved. The simple answer is the grace of God. The point is that we need grace now, and we need to trust God's grace for the future. God will handle it all in the future. Be faithful now. Love your children now. Devote yourselves to them now. Invest in them now. Ask for His grace to enable you to be consistent with them, to love them, to discipline them in the right ways. But let me close with a few applications, and the first one is to the children and then several to the parents. But this first one is what we've been talking about this whole time, kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That this is God's desire for you. That He wants you to obey them. He wants you to honor your mom and dad. He wants you to esteem your mom and dad. You should want to obey them even for a bigger reason than that. And that's because you're thinking about God. And that you want to honor and please God above all else. You honor and please God above all else within your life and everything else is going to fall into place. The first one for parents is to require obedience. You need to require obedience of your children. First time obedience, immediate obedience. If your child disobeys you, don't start counting. Deliver the punishment. Be consistent with them. Children thrive in consistent environments. They don't thrive in unsettled, unknown situations. But if they know what you expect, when you expect it, and how you expect things to be done, they'll take to it. And then trust God for His grace to save them, to regenerate their heart, and to cause them to want to please God. Next, bring your children alongside of you in pleasing the Lord. And I think that this is one of the massive keys in parenting. That you bring your children alongside you And as they see where your delight is, they see you living to please the Lord, they see how God and you, you're in a wonderful relationship, they're going to see that and and see how the Lord blesses you and how the Lord grows you and how the Lord leads you through difficulties. And they're going to want that for themselves. And the next thing is, we didn't spend too much time on this verse, but parents, don't provoke your children. Don't embitter your children. Yeah, you're required to to expect obedience, but you're not to provoke them. You don't function in such a heavy-handed way that you literally crush their spirit or cause them to lose heart. This doesn't mean that you step back from being consistent. Absolutely not. What it means is that you're consistent and, and that you're not overbearing in a way that pushes your child toward embitterment to you or to God. And I've seen this. The kids that I grew up with, And it wasn't that their parents were expecting obedience and so forth. It was just the heavy-handed way that it was gone about where they choked any kind of spiritual life out of their children when the opposite is what we should be doing, leading them to please God, not choking it out of them. 
The goal is that they would please God through obeying you, not that they would be embittered toward God or embittered toward you. And so there's an important line that we walk in teaching our children to obey. One author said, Fathers should create an atmosphere which will make obedience an easy and natural matter, namely the atmosphere of love and confidence. When fathers are unjust or severely severe, or overly severe, a spirit of sullen resignation is created in the hearts of the offspring. The children lose heart, thinking, no matter what I do, it's always wrong. And this is certainly not what we want to create. We want to have an atmosphere where we're creating obedience, an atmosphere of obedience for, for all of us. That we're all subject to the word of God. Where we all know what's expected from us in that space, in that home. That to obey is the, is the good thing for all of us to do. And to praise God is the thing to do. And to bring him pleasure. But what we don't want to create is what you so often see. Is that the Bible is not what is used to lead the children to love the Lord. It is used to beat them over the head. Don't you know what the Bible says? And so every time they think of the Bible, they think of it with a negative consequence, don't they? Instead, we want the word of God to be central and we want it to be known and that the entire household, all of us together, wives, husbands, children, that all of us submit to the word of God and that we all submit to the Lord and that we have the attitude that you see back in Joshua. You remember what he says? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Many of you have that on a plaque or something in your home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what we want to do. And so that's why we do these hard things. That's why even as we've looked at the family over the last few weeks in Colossians, where again, some hard issues, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And you go back up to verse 17 and what does it say? It gives kind of a blanket statement for all of us that in all that we do, that we should be pleasing to the Lord. And as parents and as children, we should be living our lives in order to please the Lord, in this specific case, with obedience to our parents. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, the opportunity to worship. We are, are privileged. And Lord, these, these words are, are difficult at times to, to consider and to think about because it is hard on a Thursday afternoon to want to obey mom and dad. You come home from school, or we, we come home from a long day of work, and it's hard. But Lord, this is where we desperately are in need of your grace. We're in desperate need of you and trusting in our faithful God in regard to our parenting. And Lord, I, I fully recognize and confess before you and my brothers and sisters that I, I struggle in this area in order in being a godly dad in order to walk that line of requiring that obedience without provoking my children to wrath or embitterment Lord I pray that you'll help me to expect obedience but then also realize that I need to be gracious in my dealings with them and Lord as for our children I pray Lord that you'll be with these 40-something children that you have given to us, that they'll honor you. That they'll want to live their lives in pleasing you. That is the goal of our lives. It is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. And I pray that you'll help us to do that. And I pray that as we seek your pleasure and we seek to give you glory, that we'll be able to bring our children alongside of us in that manner. 
to see and to reflect upon our great Father. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.